70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Уважаемые сотрудники и радиослушатели KBS World Radio, меня зовут Роман Новиков, я из России. Hello to the staff members and the listeners of KBS World Radio. My name is Roman Novikov, and I live in Russia. My favorite radio station is celebrating its 70th anniversary. This year is a special one for me personally as well, because it's been exactly 30 years since I started to listen to KBS World Radio. It taught me so much about Korea. We didn't have the internet back then, and KBS World Radio was the only way for me to learn many interesting facts about Korea. I've been an official monitor for the Russian service for quite a while now, and I happily plan on tuning in for many years to come. I wish everyone at KBS World Radio health and success. Thank you for your hard work. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It's Wednesday, the 13th of December. Welcome to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. I'm Koo Hee Jin filling in for Kwon Jang Ho. The ruling People Power Party chair Kim ki has stepped down a day after a similar announcement by party heavyweight Tang Jae-won. We'll have more on our news briefing shortly. And for our in-depth today, we take a look at Korea's looming super-age society and the concerns this entails, namely the rising number of people with dementia. And later, our book critic, Barry Welsh, will introduce us to a short story called A Dwarf Launches a Little Ball for our weekly book review. We have all this and more on Korea 24. People Power Party chief Kim Gion has stepped down a day after party heavyweight Chang Jae-won announced he will not seek a fourth term in parliament. With the PPP's approval ratings dismal, party leaders were under intense pressure to make way for new faces ahead of next April's general elections. For this and other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World Radio English News Service, Kim In-kyung, with us. Hello, In-kyung. Hello, Hitin. Well, uh, can you t- uh, elaborate on this story? Even until uh, a Monday, when the PPP's Innovation Committee disbanded ahead of schedule, uh, Kim Gion only said that all party members will abandon vested rights that are regarded to be unacceptable to the people. He didn't say anything about stepping down. So what made him change his mind? 
Well, Chang Jae-won's announcement on Tuesday that he won't run for office probably did the trick. The mm-hmm. Innovation Committee, which was created after the PPP's devastating loss in October's by-election for Chief of Seoul's Gangseo District, had pressured party leaders and heavyweights to step aside. After weeks refusing to budge, Chang relented on Tuesday with some recent polls showing that the party had good chances of winning in only a handful of districts in Seoul next year. Mm-hmm. In a social media post on Wednesday, Kim gi said he's resigning from his post to do everything he can for the success of the unit administration and the party's election victory next year, and that he hopes floor leader Yoon Jog will stabilize the party. Uh, meanwhile, over on the other side of the aisle, former Prime Minister and Democratic Party presidential hopeful Ina Gyeon announced that he will form a new party next year. Now, we knew this was in the offing, so can you tell us more? Sure. Alliances and divisions tend to emerge ahead of parliamentary elections in South Korea and is the latest example. It is quite, maybe it was just surprising to me, but he began his (laughs) political career at the DP and was its leader and presidential candidate before he lost the nomination to current DP chief Lee Uh Jae-myung. On Wednesday, Inagyeon said efforts to create the party are currently in the early stages. Asked when exactly his party will be established, he said he will disclose it when he reveals his New Year's wishes at the beginning of the new year. Mm-hmm. He was also open to forming alliances with politicians who have already formed or are in the process of forming third parties, such as independent lawmaker Yang Hyangja and former DP represent- representative Kum Tesop. But he said he hasn't yet considered seeking solidarity with former PPP chair Lee jun who has also been toying over forming a new party. Now, we will uh, certainly hear more on this issue in the days to come. Now, moving on to President Yoon suk yeols four-day state visit to the Netherlands. What can you tell us about this trip? On Tuesday, he visited chin-making equipment company ASML in an effort to shore up South Korea's semiconductor supply chain. Mm-hmm. In a roundtable meeting attended by King Willem Alexander of the Netherlands, Samsung Electronics Executive Chairman Lee Jae-yong, SK Chairman Chet Tae-won and ASML executives, Yoon said he will enhance direct communications between the two countries' governments and provide all necessary assistance for the success of joint semiconductor projects. During the visit, the two countries signed memoranda of understanding, including an agreement between Samsung and ASML to jointly invest one trillion won to build an R&D center for next-generation chip-making technology. Mm-hmm. In another deal, SK Hynix and ASML will jointly develop a technology to reduce power consumption by recycling the hydrogen of EUV machines. Mm-hmm. Certainly a, a big development in the economic sector that President Yoon is meeting Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte, and they will hold a press conference shortly after our show. Uh, what are they expected to discuss? They'll discuss the establishment of a new dialogue on semiconductors, among other ways to boost economic and security cooperation. Mm -hmm. According to the presidential office on Wednesday, the two leaders will produce a joint statement formalizing a semiconductor alliance. Mm -hmm. At a press briefing in Amsterdam, First Deputy National Security Advisor Kim Tae-ho said the two sides have agreed to promote cooperation in the chip sector that can execute an immediate and effective system to overcome supply chain crisis as allies. Mm -hmm. In accordance with the alliance, Seoul and Amsterdam will launch an annual diplomatic dialogue on the economy and security, establish another dialogue between industry officials on policy adjustments, and set up a supply chain consultative body on key items based on a memorandum of understanding. Mm. Now turning our focus to the economic sector, the government plans to broaden the sources of key industrial material imports by 2030 in a bid to reduce reliance on a limited set of countries. Now can you elaborate? 
Sure. This comes after China recently suspended the shipment of urea, causing concerns of a shortage. Mm-hmm. According to Industry Minister Pang Mun-gyu on Wednesday, the government plans to reduce its dependency on specific countries for 185 items, including urea, graphite and rare earth magnets, to under 50 percent by 2030, from the current estimate of 70 percent reliance. Mm-hmm. In order to meet the target goal, it'll provide support for the local production of key materials while reducing related barriers. So South Korea will also offer tax cuts and low-interest loans for excavation projects for key minerals overseas. And in another economic news, the government will provide more than 38 trillion won or around 29 billion US dollars in policy financing for the secondary battery industry over the next five years. Can you tell us more? The plan was discussed on Wednesday at an emergency economic minister's meeting presided over by Finance Minister Chu Kyung-ho to discuss ways to boost competitiveness in the industry. Mm -hmm. The government will expand loans, guarantees and insurance for businesses in the sector in order to stabilize supply chains while offering interest and insurance premium cuts for facility investment in response to the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. Seoul will also push to create a 1 trillion won fund for cutting-edge strategic industries by the year's end, with a total of 73.6 billion won to be injected into research and development next year, including a project on next-generation secondary battery technological development. In a bid to reduce reliance on key minerals from overseas used in secondary battery production, the government will push to vitalize an industrial ecosystem that fosters the recycling of eligible-used batteries into products rather than being discarded as waste. Those were the headlines. Thank you for bringing us those updates. Thank you for having me. South Korea has one of the fastest ageing populations and the lowest birth rate in the world. The country is en route to becoming a so-called super-age society by 2025, whereby the proportion of people aged 65 years and over will reach 20% of the total population. This could mean that the number of dementia patients in Korea will likely top 1 million this year, and the number will most likely climb steadily, triggering even greater and unforeseen problems. We'll have a two-part interview first to talk about the definition of dementia, its causes, possible prevention and treatment. And then we'll talk about the nation's rapidly ageing society and what the government as well as we can do as a society to deal with this issue. We are first joined on the line by Professor Chong Ji-hang at the Department of Neurology at Iwa Women's University specialising in dementia. Thank you, Professor Chong, for joining us. Hello, uh, my name is Ji Hang Jung. I work at Iwa Women's University, so hospital. Yes, of course. And so first, let's cover the basics. What is the medical definition of dementia and what symptoms does it have and what stages are there? Dementia is a medical term that refers to a group of cognitive impairment characterized by a decline in cognitive function beyond what is considered to be a normal age-related change. Mm-hmm. It's not a specific disease, but a syndrome caused by very various uh, underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. There are few common symptoms that which occur very commonly. The first one is the memory loss, that is difficulty in remembering recent events or the appointment. Mm-hmm. 
second one is making decision difficulty, like problem solving or under, understanding complex concept. s mm-hmm. Third one is difficulty in communications, like struggling to find the right word, having co- difficulty following joining on the conversation. Mm-hmm. The last one is that difficulty in navigation, such mm-hmm. as impairment in using public transportation, mm-hmm. or sometimes even being lost in familiar environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, there might be some kind of mood or behavior change, like mm-hmm. uh, mood swings, depression, anxiety, agitation, mm-hmm. and sometimes there is a delusion or hallucination and ag- aggression occurring common together. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. dementia is referring to all these kind of uh, symptomatic changes that interferes with the activity of daily life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the stages of dementia, Uh, it, it depends on a uh, varying degree of underlying cause, but there is a, a categorization into the general stage of four. Mm-hmm. So first is the uh, mild cognitive impairment. Mm-hmm. This stage involves a subtle change of the cognitive impairment, mm-hmm. but there is no change. There is no interference with the daily, daily to day-to-day activity. Mm-hmm. So person can... live with uh live and do things they want to do mm-hmm. but when the cognitive impairment really declines mm-hmm. then the patient uh terminates into the stage of dementia mm-hmm. for the first stage is early stage mild stage of dementia mm-hmm. symptoms becomes very apparent so they have a very dominant kind of cognitive dysfunctions and individuals may have difficulty in the everyday task like managing finances or doing some kind of directions. So family caregiver need to intervene, intervene mm-hmm. for the day-to-day activity. Mm, I see. When the mm-hmm. patient becomes moderate stage of dementia, mm-hmm. then they cannot do anything by themselves. So everyone has to be uh, taken care of the caregivers. It can be assisted for the daily living, sometimes bathing, dressing, and sometimes even for eating. I see. When the disease are more progressed to a severe stage, mm. then the individuals, they, do, uh, they lo- lose every uh, ability to communicate and they do not recognize their loved ones and they even cannot control their movement. Mm-hmm. And they require round-to-round care, clock care. Of course. And what are some of the causes of dementia? Well, uh, One of the most common causes of dementia worldwide is Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. same in South Korea. Mm-hmm. So it is caused by accumulation of abnormal amyloid beta protein that deposits between the brain cells, mm-hmm. which, uh, which we call it neuron, mm-hmm. and ter- terminating abnormal tau deposition, mm-hmm. which leads to gradual destruction of the brain cells. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is the most common type of dementia in worldwide. I see. And second cause is vascular dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is called. It is uh, induced by uh, blood flow termination. So when the blood flow is not supplied in the brain, mm-hmm. then we call it uh, ischemic event. Mm-hmm. When the blood vessel ruptures, then we call it hemorrhagic events. Mm-hmm. And these kinds of vascular problems accumulate in the brain like more than uh, damaging half of one-fourth of the brain that it causes vascular dementia. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. see, I see. So can we self-diagnose dementia? What, and what are the early symptoms, the most early signs that we should watch out for? 
Well, dementia cannot be self-diagnosed. Oh, as it requires a you know, comprehensive evaluation by a healthcare professional, mm-hmm. or typical neurologist or the psychiatrist mm-hmm. who can assess cognitive function and conduct medical tests and review medical history. Mm-hmm. However, individuals and their loved ones can be vigilant for all the signs and symptoms of dementia or cognitive dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So if the first one is the memory impairment, I especially mm-hmm. recent episodic event, uh, repeated forgetfulness is very important. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And second impairment arises in uh, difficulty in daily, day-to-day every task, such as managing finances, uh, doing dishes and using appliances. And finally, mm-hmm. poor judgment compared to previous level of functions so making poor decisions, especially in requiring planning and reasoning. So, so uh-huh. these signs uh, can really, uh, with, with all the signs of the three uh, important signs, and we, mm-hmm. um, family members mm-hmm. can really uh, suspect about the uh, early stage of dementia. So the family members and loved ones, as well as um, uh, uh, friends and families, will have to be vigilant uh, regarding yes. elderly people. Yes, yes. Um, yes. Can we prevent dementia? And what are some of the ways we can reduce the risk? This is most important. There is no guaranteed way to prevent dementia. That's mm-hmm. a fact. Mm-hmm. But we can uh, manage or reduce the risk of it. Mm. So first one is exercise regularly. So physical activity is really, really linked to low risk of dementia. Mm-hmm. So aiming for 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity exercise is very important. I see. And second one is mental stimulation. Mm-hmm. So engage in mentally stimulated activities such as reading papers, newspapers, puzzles, learning new languages, and playing musical instruments is very mm-hmm. uh, helps pre- preserve cognitive function. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And third is the social engagement. Mm-hmm. Humans are social social interact. So mm-hmm. we we need to interact with other social uh, other other uh, people to stay in uh, social active, maintaining strong social connection is really, really important in brain health connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Finally, maintaining health diet is very important. So Mediterranean diet, mind diet is important. It also uh, uh, requires fruit, vegetables, whole grains, mm-hmm. and also protein mm-hmm. and healthy fats. I so, see. like, I see. you know, omega oil is very um, beneficial. I see. And what this comes to the most important thing. What are the some of the existing treatments for dementia? How effective are they? Um, mm-hmm. Currently, there is no cure for dementia. Oh. But there are mm-hmm. uh, pharmacological treatments that can be really uh, manageable for uh, dementia management. Mm -hmm. So the pharmacological treatment is acetylcholine esterase inhibitors, NNDA receptor antagonist for cognitive improvement and Mm -hmm. also behavior control. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also non-pharmacological interventions such as managing symptoms, quality of life improvement, and also uh, behavior control is quite effective as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the promising is that I have told you that the Alzheimer's disease is most mm-hmm. uh, common uh, disease causing dementia. Mm-hmm. And there came a new uh, medication uh, from this year that is uh, 
available in United States or Japan mm-hmm. that is called anti-amyloid target therapy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if this uh, drug is available in uh, South Korea, then we can expect more effective treatment to, for the prevention of Alzheimer's disease and the progression of dementia. I see. And as as we pointed out, South Korea is forecast to becoming a super aging society by 2025 and experts uh, expect the number of Koreans with dementia to surpass a million next year. So what do you think should be done to adjust to, uh, to better the increase of uh, dementia patients and how can society better support people with dementia and their families? It is very, very important because we are really facing the enormous increase in dementia population. But we have to really think about that the aging population, we cannot really change. Mm-hmm. It is inevitable. So mm-hmm. as the aging society increases, dementia population is also going to be increased. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is a fact. Mm-hmm. Then what, what can we do? That there are some strategies for better uh, mm-hmm. in uh, facing the de- increased population of dementia and for their caregivers in South Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the first and most important aspect is public awareness and education. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So aging does increase dementia, but not always. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it is preventable in a way. Mm-hmm. So sometimes dementia is inevitable, mm-hmm. but is manageable. I see. So, Early detection is very important. So rescuing uh, brain cells before dying. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. To, do it, to do this, we have to raise awareness about dementia to reduce stigma mm-hmm. and increase understanding for the society to mm-hmm. prepare. Mm-hmm. Uh, so providing educational programs for healthcare professionals is important mm-hmm. and also for the caregivers and also for the elderly adults mm-hmm. to know about the dementia and how to prevent and how to we need to expect mm-hmm. and secondly mm-hmm. early detection and diagnosis is very important mm-hmm. to establish early detection and diagnosis the regular screening program for cognitive impairment mm-hmm. is mandatory. I see. Uh, so we need to ask and encourage individuals and families mm-hmm. to find for the dementia signs mm-hmm. or the cognitive impairment signs mm-hmm. and to seek early diagnosis and medical evaluation for the uh, for uh, caregiver society and for the uh, uh, South Korea's uh, providing community screening centers. Mm-hmm. So social and administrative support is vital. Well, that's that was uh, Professor Chong Ji-hang at the Department of Neurology at Ihua Women's University. Professor Jong, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. And now to learn more about what Korea can do as a society to mitigate the effects of an ageing society, we have joining with us an expert in elderly welfare, Professor Eon Jung at the School of Welfare at Chungang University. Hello, Professor Lee. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Wonderful to have you with us. So, Professor, before we discuss an outlook for Korea's ageing society and the growing number of dementia patients in the country down the road, Let's first begin by looking at where we stand right now. Uh, Can you break down the nation's demographic status as well as the number of elderly dementia patients? Sure. Uh, As I think everybody knows, people live longer across the country and then Koreans live longer as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Consequently, we have seen an increase in aging population over the last several decades. And according to the statistic Korea, as of 2023, the number of people who are age 65 and older is about 9.5 million. And it is about 18.4% of the entire population. And then for the dementia population, um, the dementia, the number of dementia patients also reflects the increase in senior population. Mm-hmm. As of 2022, there were about 950,000 people with dementia. Mm-hmm. And it is about 10% of Koreans over the age of 65. Mm-hmm. And it is almost 34% of all the adults ages 85 and older. Mm-hmm. I don't have the statistic for this year yet, but mm. it is projected to exceed 1 million for the first time this year in Korea. Oh, wow. And could you also share with us an outlook in the, for the coming few years and the, the near future of Korea's aging society and the growing number of dementia patients? Sure. Uh, when we measure the degree of the population aging, there are a kind of measuring number that we apply. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. It is actually defined by the United Nations. Depending on how many people over the age 65 mm-hmm. out of the entire population each country has, we call aging society, aged society, and super aged society. Mm-hmm. And those measuring numbers applied are 7%, 14%, and 20% respectively. Wow. And like I just said, Korea is the aged society as we have more than 18% of senior population in 2023. Mm-hmm. We became the aging society in the year of 2000 wow. and then the aged society in 2018. Mm-hmm. The current projection, the current project is that Korea will become the super aged society in 2025, which is only in over a year from now on. Just over a year from now on, yes. That's right, because it's already December. Um, Mm -hmm. And by 2050, there Mm -hmm. will be over 40% of seniors in Korea. Wow. Mm -hmm. One thing actually we should be alerted about this is the speed of the population aging in Korea. Mm -hmm. Because the average years of the reaching to the super age society among the developed countries are about 23.5 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, yep. took, mm-hmm. it took 40 years for Sweden and France, mm-hmm, and 16 mm-hmm. years for U.S., and mm-hmm. 12 years for Japan. Mm-hmm. But for Korea, it is expected to take only seven years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and if it's a very alarming speed in which we have uh, reached that status. And this means that there will be relatively less number of young people in our society within a few decades uh, who mm-hmm. will take care of elderly people, including many who suffer from Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. Now, could you explain what the demographic predictions mean? Well, one of the indicators that this demographic projection is directly related to the, the old age dependency ratio, which is we represent the ratio between the number of working population age mm-hmm. and then senior population. Mm. As of 2022, the old age dependency ratio in Korea is 24.6 which means mm-hmm. the number of senior population to support per 100 working populations are 24.6. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. This will be 38.6 by 2030 mm-hmm. and 79.8 by 2050. Mm-hmm. And by 2070, it is projected that each working population wouldn't need to support one senior population. It seems of uh, quite a lopsided uh, prediction right now uh, of the uh, shape of the society, a grim uh, shape uh, that, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that we can expect. So how prepared is Korea to deal with the growing number of elderly patients, uh, elderly dementia patients, I mean, uh, if at all? And how do our elderly welfare policies compare to other countries? Well, my short answer to the question is, unfortunately, I don't think we are really quite ready for that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Korea, we declared war, a war on dementia in 2008 yeah. and has been working on some plans and strategies since then. Mm-hmm. It is positive and inspiring that government is taking an initiative to address this issue. Mm-hmm. But there are still many areas that we are less focusing on. Mm-hmm. For example, since lots of focus are on mostly how to treat and how to prevent the dementia, mm-hmm. there are relatively lack of support or conversation for informal caregivers, which is mostly family members who mm-hmm. are providing care. Mm-hmm. Culturally and traditionally, we are highly depend on family members for providing care for people with dementia mm-hmm. compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. And because of this cultural background and under the name of failure to pilot with this show, the economic, physical, mental and social outcomes of informal caregiving is not appropriately recognized in our current policies. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's been 15 years since the uh, government uh, has waged war on dementia, unfortunately. Uh, there has been a, a, a um, let's say, a worrying uh, uh, development in that area. What kind of policy suggestions do you have of more effectively handling the predicted rise of uh, the uh, these elderly dementia uh, sector? Well, speaking of dementia, unfortunately, I believe there is no effectiveness uh, is possible or appropriate, especially when dementia is not curable disease at this moment. Mm-hmm. An approach to see them as a people who we, we will live together in a society, that is a subject to treat and cure, will be needed, I believe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In Western society, they rarely use a patient referring to them. Mm-hmm. They rather say people with dementia. Mm. For that, I think we need to work on to change the perception about dementia as well as people with dementia. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It sounds like a little bit extreme and dramatic, but me as a social gerontologist, mm-hmm. I anticipate I will be diagnosed with dementia at some point in my life. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. my currently healthy parents, they will do the, the same as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It is not because I'm a pessimistic or a negative person, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but... Uh, we need to see this as a, our part of normal aging. Like we know that we all die. Mm-hmm. We have to accept a dementia also to be part of our life course mm-hmm. instead of taking it as a disaster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With this assumption, I believe people will no more oppose to a proposal of building a care facility mm-hmm. or a dementia village in their own neighborhoods. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. Rather, they might want to build those in their own community to make their aging in place possible.
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so we have to face a humbling acknowledgement that we mm-hmm. all face this problem and the country and the society as a whole will have to recognize and tackle these issues as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, uh, it concerns all of us, be it mm-hmm. our loved one or for ourselves. Um, that was Professor Ian Zhang at the School of Welfare at Chungang University. Thank you, Professor Lee, for joining us. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 24.61 points, or 0.97% on Wednesday, to close the day at 2,510.66. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, slipping 10.22 points, or 1.22%, to close at 829.31. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 5.91 against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,319.91. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, we're joined by Daniel Chair for our daily segment, Career Trending. For this part of the show, we check out keywords and issues that have been trending online in South Korea, handpicked by the Korea 24 team. Hello, Daniel. Hello there, Hijin. Uh, let's get straight into the first story and talk about one of my favorite topics, Christmas carols. But sadly, this is about the lack thereof. Yes, sadly it is. Mm. Uh, people living in South Korea may have noticed hardly any caroling or carols being played even as Christmas inches ever closer. I noticed that. And Christmas season is usually accompanied by a seemingly never-ending flow of carols played or sung out loud everywhere. But that seems to be a change. Trend. Now, what is going on? So initially, it was widely believed that the lack of music was due to copyright infringement. But mm-hmm. according to the Korean Music Copyright Association on Wednesday, that's not exactly the case. Mm-hmm. The reason for the silent nights we're having these days is due to regulations related to noise levels and power usage. Uh-huh. In compliance with the latest laws to help reduce noise, stores that play music using speakers set up outdoors can be fined up to $2 million won or around $1,500 mm-hmm. if they exceed the permissible noise levels. Also, stores leaving their doors open so that people outside can hear the music being played inside is also against energy regulation policies if the store is using heating system, which uh, 9 out of 10 or 99 out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10 would be the case. That's because it would let the heat out. Well, it's a similar policy to that in summer, uh, which prevents stores from leaving the doors open if they're using air conditioner units. Now, going back to copyright issues, if owners were to play the uh, carols inside their stores, it's perfectly fine? So the association said in most cases, most stores are allowed to play them without worrying about copyright issues. Any businesses with an area less than 50 square meters are exempt from paying copyright fees when playing such music. Um. Uh, There are exemptions for uh, large supermarkets, fitness centers, or major coffee chains. But even if these, in these rare cases, the fee is very minimal, around 10,001 if they have to pay or less than $8 per month to play most songs. Well, what a sad turn of events. And I'll be sure to blast Christmas carols while driving in my car. Now, let's move on to the next story. 
So when he gets cold, uh, my best friend at home is the electric blanket. Of course. Of course. Yeah. But a recent report warns these helpful gadgets can be a fire hazard. Oh. This is because we don't just use the electric blanket alone, but usually in tandem with other layers made from latex or memory foam to maximize the heating effect. Mm-hmm. And this is where the problem lies. Mm-hmm. There were more than 1,179 reported cases of fire linked to electric blankets between 2018 and last year. Most of them involved flames ignited while electric blankets were used with pillows or blankets made with such materials. Well, I'll have to check the materials uh, of my blanket as well as the mattress at home. So putting together an electric blanket with latex or memory foam is not a good idea. Now, can you tell our listeners why that is? Yes, I'm no rocket scientist, but these are the facts. These Uh materials are strong conductors of heat, so keeping them layered with the electric blanket for long periods can lead to fires. Ah. A local news outlet on Wednesday reported about a man living in Chonan, South Chungcheong province, who experienced this firsthand. He left his brand new electric blanket on, and he left the house for a certain period of time. And when he returned, he saw smoke, sparks flying, and the heating wires exposed toasting the mattresses and the blanket. Well, that must have been quite the scare. Uh, And luckily, no one was hurt. So what kind of measures should manufacturers take to prevent this similar incidents recurring? So experts say manufacturers must create bigger and clearer warnings about the dangers of misusing the products. Mm -hmm. As the current ones available these days normally come with small prints and without stern warnings as if they want to have a, a way out if accidents happen. Uh, And we should all make sure to turn off our electric blankets in the morning. Um, So what's the last story that you have for us? So reports are coming in from various sources that Korea's very own Lee Jong-hoo, who -hmm. has agreed to a a very lucrative deal with the MLB, San Francisco Giants. Always excited to hear about Korean athletes making a big splash overseas. Now, uh, can you talk us through how much the deal is supposed to be worth? First of all, New York Post columnist John Heyman posted on social media Tuesday evening, U.S. time, that he agreed to a six-year deal worth $113 million. Mm-hmm. Other U.S.-based reporters posted similar information. The Giants have not confirmed the deal as of yet, officially. Mm, I see. So if uh, reports are true, then he is becoming a record-setter as he makes the transition to the majors. Yes, this would be the biggest contract awarded to a Korean player from the nation's pro league, the Korean Baseball Organization, or the KBO, easily surpassing the six-year $36 million deal that Du Hyunjin signed with the LA Dodgers mm-hmm. back in 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Du, he is represented by the legendary Scott Boris, who is considered an iconic sports agent that always goes the distance for his clients. Can you say, show me the money? <laughs> <laughs> now, before the deal, there were so many speculations, including the possibility of E signing with a different team. Yes, the Kiyum Heroes has already produced three major leaguers, and once the deal is official, E would be the fourth to make the leap to the international stage many can only dream of. There were many uh, talks about him being signed to multiple teams, and some that even included a team that would have him teaming up with other Korean stars that's playing in the MLB. Oh, that's exciting news. I'm sure we'll keep an eye open for what happens. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have for Korea Trending. Thanks for joining us and see you again next time. Thank you so much for having me.
Next up for our weekly Korea Book Club, we dive into some notable Korean books translated into English or books written about Korea. I'm your host, Kui Jin, filling in for Kwon Jang-woo this week. We are now joined in the studio by our literary critic, uh, Barry Welsh. Welcome to the show, Barry. Hello, it's great to be here. And what book are you introducing us uh, to, uh, to our listeners today? So this week we are reviewing a short story called A Dwarf Launches a Little Ball. Mm-hmm. The Korean title is Nan Changi Ga Soa Olin Chagun Kong. Mm-hmm. And the author is Cho Se-hee. Mm-hmm. And it was published in Korean in 1976, mm-hmm. uh, translated into English. English by Chon Kyung Ja and published in English in 2002. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cho has a very interesting uh, background. He started his writing career by winning a literary award in 1965 mm-hmm. for a short story uh, in a local newspaper. But then he actually disappeared from the literary scene for a while and didn't publish uh, anything or, uh, for about a decade. Mm-hmm. But if you jump to 1975, uh, that's when Cho starts publishing a series of short stories in a literature magazine. Mm-hmm. And these stories were all about life in the city, Mm -hmm. uh, the tough, uh, gritty life of the uh, underclass people who were getting the short end of the stick during uh, Korea's rapid industrial boom at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, And these stories uh, were bundled into a book called The Dwarf in 1978. Uh, And this was a big deal at the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. Critics loved it and readers uh, couldn't get enough of it. Mm -hmm. I I remember uh, reading uh, this uh, book uh, when I was uh, in uh, college during the night. Uh-huh. Um, and despite the critical and popular acclaim for Cho's yep. work, he faced significant challenges for, uh, from political powers that be at the time. And can you share with us how the establishment suppressed or attempted to suppress uh, Cho's work? Right, that's absolutely correct. So, uh, like you said, despite the popular success he was enjoying, it wasn't all smooth sailing for Cho. So the governments uh, in the 70s and 80s, let's just say they weren't uh, fans of Cho or his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Cho stories were uh, very outspoken about how uh, undemocratic uh, governments were causing problems for the poor and underprivileged and Cho didn't shy away from showing the dark side of the sort of economy first approach that the governments had uh, frequently at the time. Mm-hmm. So Cho and uh, his work, his stories, his novels, they were often uh, targeted during uh, press crackdowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, but despite this, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, his work remained extremely popular and in 2005, the Dwarf became the first Korean novel to hit its 200th edition, which is mm. remarkable, really. <laughs> uh, and it didn't stop there. It sold almost uh, one, and a half, one, one and a half million copies mm-hmm. uh, in South Korea alone. It's mm-hmm. been translated into English at least three times and, and other languages too. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Cho sadly did pass away last year at the mm-hmm. age of 80, mm-hmm. but he leaves behind uh, an enduring legacy. And the story that we're focusing on today, mm-hmm. A Dwarf Launches a Little Ball, uh, is a very poignant tale mm-hmm. with much uh, still to say to modern readers. Yes. Um, Can you briefly give us the uh, synopsis to the story before we delve into why this is such a beloved piece of story? Right, yeah. So uh, it's about a family uh, comprising a a physically challenged uh, father, uh, mother and their three children, Yongsu, Yongho and Yonghee. And this family, they uh, represent the plight of the Korean working class or uh, underclass in the 1970s. Uh, And the way Cho writes them, they uh, they embody the struggles that men 
many were facing in a rapidly modernising society uh, where there were the demands of new economic systems being put in place by the government mm-hmm. but these new structures often uh, you know, le- left uh, marginalised people behind mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so they represent that group of people mm-hmm. uh, and their home, their family home uh, was built in an un- unauthorised zone mm-hmm. there was sort of these sort of shanty towns that, that sprung up around uh, Seoul and other regions mm-hmm. and so this area has now been slated for demolition. The story mm-hmm. starts with them receiving a notice that their house will be uh, demolished uh, and they're offered this you know, very inadequate compensation from the government mm-hmm. uh, and this leaves them unable to afford uh, a new accommodation anywhere else. So mm-hmm. uh, this leads to the family's fragmentation. The father falls ill and, and eventually passes away in, in, a, in a factory uh, and the children are, are forced to undertake sort of grueling, uh, low-paying factory jobs uh, and eventually the daughter turns to prostitution to reclaim their lost uh, property deeds Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the narrative is uh, split into three sections so Mm -hmm. each each is narrated by a different child uh, and this uh, is is representative of Cho's uh, fragmented writing approach in general this style I think it effectively mirrors the uh, uh, disjointed nature of the society he's trying Mm. to depict and I think what he uh, depicted in that story itself Mm -hmm. is a very grim mirror of the society at the time Yong Su Yong, he uh, is uh, the, are names that you can find in textbooks yeah, right. at the time. So uh-huh. everybody can relate to the characters in the story. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. um, what do you think was the big deal uh, about this uh, story? Uh, is it the approachability, the re- uh, relatability of the story, and mm-hmm. or the, uh, what is its significance in modern uh, Korean literature? Right. So th- this really is a story with you know, as, as you've sort of hinted and suggested with a, a massive uh, uh, reputation and, and mm-hmm. legacy. So it's not just any short story in the, the history of Korean literature. It's o- almost a, a, a kind of a revolution in the literary scene at the time. Mm-hmm. So published in the late 1970s, uh, the, the, the short story uh, it came at a time when, like we said, Korea was going through some you know, massive uh, changes, sort of countrywide changes. Uh, the, the entire country was on this uh, accelerated, uh, super fast track to industrialization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything was about economic growth and urban development but mm-hmm. as the story shows us the the, uh, the problem of this was that not everyone was winning uh, mm-hmm. in this new Korea in fact a lot of people mm-hmm. especially those in the lower economic brackets and cities they were actually struggling uh, a lot mm-hmm. and that's where uh, Cho Sehi's genius comes in he didn't just write a story he created a whole new way to tell it his uh, short stories so this story has the three segments of the three children and mm-hmm. then you have the other stories which were sort of bundled together into the novel mm-hmm. and they're all linked uh, together mm-hmm. and it's almost like what Cho's doing is he's giving us pieces of a puzzle mm. uh, and as you read you start seeing the sort of bigger uh, tapestry or the bigger picture of what life was really like for the urban uh, poor in Seoul at this time mm-hmm. uh, and you know each story uh, like in, in a dwarf launches a little ball that each story focuses on one of the children mm-hmm. but they're all facing similar challenges it's poverty it's displacement uh, and it's just this general feeling of being invisible in a rapidly changing world mm-hmm. and uh, this uh, reading it in the 2020s right now uh-huh. it has a, a bigger meaning as well because right, we're yeah. living in, in a world of digitization yes, uh-huh. which is, has brought along a, a 
a huge gap in yeah. uh, in strata in the society as well. Sure, absolutely. And mm-hmm. how have uh, Jose's pioneering uh, storytelling techniques in a dwarf launches a little ball? influence the broader landscape of Korean literature. Right, so as we've we've mentioned a little bit, I think the one of the most important things that he did was this fragmented uh, approach to storytelling, uh, storytelling, which at the time was quite uh, groundbreaking. Uh-huh. So before this, a lot of Korean literature was, uh, not all of it, but a lot was about the rural experience or focused on historical uh, themes. Uh-huh. And so Cho was one of the, the first or one of the earlier writers to really uh, zoom in on this urban experience. Uh-huh and especially from the perspective of the marginalised. So what he's doing is he's showing the dark side of the Korean miracle, Mm. the cost of that economic boom on regular people, the often forgotten people. Uh, His writing is raw, it's real, uh, and like you said, like four decades later, you can still feel the the tragedy of it even uh, even now. Mm. Uh, And so this style is is very innovative. He Mm -hmm. uh, plays around with different narratives, uh, he jumps around in time and uses different perspectives, and it's like he's painting this multi-dimensional picture of society mm-hmm. uh, and I think this was relatively new in uh, for Korean readers at the time it wasn't just a story uh, it was kind of an experience mm. uh, and so why is it so influential it really for those reasons it, it had a big impact on Korean literature mm-hmm. it sort of opened up new themes and styles and uh, uh, encouraged people to think about the cost of progress and who gets left behind mm-hmm. uh, and it's a book that not only reflects uh, this pivotal time in Korean history mm-hmm. but also had a significant impact impact on Korean literature itself. Mm, I see. Well, who would you recommend this short story to? Well, really, it's such a classic story. So, mm. you know, anyone who's interested in Korean culture or history mm-hmm. or literature at all, uh, and just anyone who enjoys reading about uh, social issues, mm-hmm. uh, especially as told through personal narratives, and uh, also if you, you're just interested in uh, experimental storytelling formats, mm-hmm. uh, and basically if you're just into books that make you think and feel, mm-hmm. uh, then this is certainly a story for you. I certainly uh, it makes it's it, it still makes me think uh, uh-huh. every time I read it uh-huh, that's fantastic uh, thank you very for have, uh, joining us and oh. uh, we'll see you next week yes okay take care hello this is Anna Yates Liu assistant professor from the Department of Korean music at Seoul National University you are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. For the final part of the show, we have our daily segment, Morning Edition Preview, where we'll take a peek at some of the biggest stories from tomorrow's papers. Uh, the Korea Times and the Korea Herald have been kind enough to give us a preview of their editions for tomorrow. So uh, we are very grateful for that. Our staff editor at KBS English Service, Richard Larkin, joins us in the studio now. Uh, hello, Richard. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. So to start us off, it's been a banner year for the National Museum of Korea? It has, yes. So I have chosen Choi Shiyoung's article in the culture section of the Korea Herald. Mm-hmm. So the National Museum of Korea celebrated a huge milestone on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. This year, a total of 4 million people visited the museum. Wow. That is the highest annual number since it moved to Seoul's Yongsan district in 2005. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For our listeners who may not know, it is the largest museum in the country with more than 1.5 million artefacts. And to mark the occasion, the 4, four millionth visitor was presented with gifts.
years. I would have been uh, happy to be the fourth million. Uh, that was an amazing feat. Now tell us more about that visitor, uh, that lucky visitor. Who, who were they and uh, what kind of gifts did they receive? Well, his name is Sam Nichols and mm-hmm. he is from Washington. Whoa. He is visiting Korea for two weeks and luckily he was able to get himself quite a unique gift. Mm. One of the gifts he received was a, a replica of the gilt bronze incense burner of Pekje, which is a national treasure. Of course, I've seen it only in textbooks as well as in the museum <laughs> itself, yes. Yeah, but I'm not sure many people can say they have, have that, that, even the replica. <laughs> and if you look at the article, you can see a picture of him with the Director General of the National Museum. Mm, I see, and uh, definitely a fun story to share with the friends and family <laughs> sure. when he comes back home. Right. Now, these days, uh, museums and exhibitions have been adapting using technology to right. in, in, to lure visitors mm. and to make them uh, in, uh, interesting places to visit. Yes, we have talked about this on the show quite a few times recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, the article also touches on that. So one of the visitors who was at the ceremony to celebrate the fourth millionth visitor mm-hmm. said that more people are finding the museum stimulating not only intellectually, but visually. Of course. So there have been eye-catching shows and the museum explains that it has been putting up installations using the latest technologies mm. so that anyone can virtually touch and feel what is on display, even mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. I've heard about that. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can only see positives from this news. I'm sure other museums will take note of this new record mm-hmm. and use it as inspiration to also make their exhibitions and events more fun. Mm-hmm. I think this also shows that people still enjoy historical and cultural content, even though like internet is so big these days, mm-hmm. as long as it is presented in an interesting way. Of course, the tactile feeling is yeah. something that cannot be uh, replaced. Sure. Oh, And what's the next uh, article you have for us? So I would say that 2023 has been a hugely successful year for Mm K-pop, with many acts becoming powerhouses globally. (laughs) And if you take a look at Pyo Kyung-min's article in the culture section of the Korea Times, Mm -hmm. you can get an idea of just how popular uh, K-pop groups have become. Mm -hmm. That's because the article has information about the global accolades K-pop acts have received at the end of 2023. Yes, some would say that this would be uh, K-pop's peak, Mm. while others would say this is just the beginning. (laughs) But one thing is for certain most people around the world now know about K-pop. Mm. Uh, can you tell us more about some of these accolades? Sure. So one of the standout acts in the K-pop scene is New Jeans. Mm. The group's hit uh, Super Shy took third spot in The Guardian's The 20 Best Songs of 2023 list. Wow. Yeah, the British magazine called the song Fresh mm-hmm. and praised the fact that it doesn't sound like other K-pop songs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the Guardian was not alone. Mm-hmm. The music publication NME added Super Shy to its 50 best songs of 2023 list it placed second and uh, billboards 100 best songs of 2023 also included the song in 38th place i have to admit they are on my playlist <laughs> it is a catchy song <laughs> and uh jeans have definitely cemented themselves as one of the biggest names in right. k-pop in such a short time too mm. uh, along with groups like blackpink and bts yeah groups have been doing especially well especially like uh, blackpink and bts in tiktok videos as mm, well mm. so five k-pop acts made the platforms the hit makers global top 10 list mm. blackpink became the highest ranked K-pop act by placing third. Mm-hmm. BTS were fourth mm-hmm. and then Hyphen, The Seraphim and New Jeans were sixth, eighth mm. and ninth respectively. Mm. So yeah, some amazing ac- accolades. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the popularity will only get bigger next year or if this is, as some would say, the genre's peak. 
Well, uh, we'll have to we'll have to see about that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, thank you, Richard, for bringing us this article. Thank you. Well, that brings us to the end of today's edition of Korea 24. We'll bring you the latest in Korea tomorrow. I've been your host, Kuhijin, filling in for Kwon Jang-ho. Thank you and goodbye. KBS World Radio.